Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, May 16th. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's what you need to know today. Finland and Sweden look to join NATO. Plus, a moment of joy for Ukraine, courtesy of pop music. But first, the racist conspiracy theory cited by the Buffalo shooter is today's one big thing. A retired police officer, grocery store employees, and customers were among the 10 people killed in a mass shooting Saturday in Buffalo, New York. It's the deadliest American mass shooting so far this year. Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown said on NBC's Meet the Press yesterday morning that there was no doubt the shooter was motivated by racial hatred. The individual that committed this crime uh, drove from several hours away. They were not from this community, and they drove here with the express purpose of taking black lives. Eight out of the 10 people killed were black. The FBI has also said they're investigating the shooting as a hate crime. A manifesto allegedly written and posted by the suspect, an 18-year-old white man, laid out specific plans to attack Black people and repeatedly cited the so-called, quote, Great Replacement Theory. This is the racist conspiracy with deep roots in neo-Nazism, that there's a plot to change America's racial composition and reduce white Americans' political power. Axios' race and justice reporter, Russell Contreras, has been reporting on this conspiracy theory and how it's fueling white supremacy. Russ, what do we know about how this theory influenced the shooter in Buffalo this weekend? Well, we don't know exactly, but we see in this alleged manifesto that he repeats a lot of the ideas that we see in far-right white supremacist groups on websites where they talk about white genocide. Great replacement theory, or white replacement theories, as it's also known, argues that there's the existence of a plot by people of color to change America's racial composition. Russ, when you say a white genocide, what does that mean? Well, there's a belief by American neo-Nazis that there is an attempt to wipe out whites and either kill them or put them in position of slavery. This is, of course, reversing the oppressor-victim dichotomy that we had in the country and tried to position whites as victims. So to fight this, quote, white genocide, they must somehow commit violence first. Where is the fear that this is happening coming from? We are seeing a lot more immigration from Asia. We're seeing immigration from Latin America. And the birth rates of both of these populations are increasing. They, they surpass whites. But now, as the, this demographic shift is happening, whether it's in Texas, New Mexico, California, or New York, it's happening as whites are seeing their political power fall. They're not in positions of power. They're being challenged because we need to have a more diverse nation, reflective of our populations. But instead of seeing this as an effort of equity, there are some seeing this as evidence that there's some conspiracy, some nefarious acts that are going on to violently remove them from power. Apart from what we saw this past weekend in Buffalo, how else have we seen this theory show up in different white supremacist violence in this country? In places like Charlottesville at the Unite the Right rally in 2017. There, as you remember, um, some of the demonstrators yelled, Jews will not replace us. In El Paso, Texas, there was a shooter that drove across the state and targeted people of Mexican descent at a Walmart. He also wrote in his manifesto, he thought people of Mexican descent were attempting to replace people like him, a white male. So replacement theory, white genocide, 
These ideas have appeared in episodes across the U.S. in recent years. Some of them have been violent. Some of it are, is very obvious. Sometimes it's not so easy to place, but the ideas are there. Axios' race and justice reporter, Russell Contreras, joining us from Albuquerque. Thanks, Russ. Thanks for having me. Another related story you might have missed. Police in Dallas are investigating a series of recent attacks as hate crimes. The shooting of three women at a Korean hair salon last week is now thought to be racially motivated and is believed to be connected to at least two other recent shootings. You can read more about this in this morning's Axios Dallas newsletter. And finally, another incidence of deadly gun violence played out yesterday in Laguna Woods, California, when a gunman opened fire in a Presbyterian church while a Taiwanese congregation was meeting for lunch. One person has died as of reports on Sunday evening, and five others were injured. The motives of the gunman, who was of Asian descent, are still unclear. In a moment, we're back with what's behind Sweden and Finland's new applications to join NATO. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. The leaders of Sweden and Finland announced yesterday their support for their country's applications to join NATO. For Sweden, that would mean a possible reversal of more than 200 years of military non-alignment. It also marks a major blow to Vladimir Putin as the war in Ukraine continues. Axios' Hans Nichols is here to catch us up on the political implications of these moves. Hey, Hans. Good morning. Why have Sweden and Finland put in this bid for NATO now? Oh, they're nervous. There's been a sea change in public opinion in both of those democracies. And there's a consensus in the parties that they need to respond to that voter sentiment and take formal steps to joining NATO. This isn't a done deal. I mean, NATO sessions take a while. Things can go wrong. There can be objections from places like Turkey. But the very fact that they're interested in it tells us that something fundamental has changed. Can you just remind us of the geography here? So Finland has like, this massive border with Russia. It's about 800 miles. Now, way up further north, a little bit of Norway also touches Russia. I went up there, I don't know, four or five years ago with the U.S. Marines on a training exercise. And the whole piece that I did was kind of a contest between me and the Marines by getting them to say why they were training there. And the answer I wanted as a reporter was, you're training there because of the Russians. And the answer they gave was, we're training here to be prepared to fight in the Arctic. But even in a country like Norway, which has such close relationships with the U.S. military, they never quite wanted to poke the bear. They would, were always very careful about not making it seem as though this was against Russia or countering Russia or defensive on Russia. That sort of prohibition has gone away. You see it in, in the Finnish parliament. You see it in Swedish press. You see it pretty much everywhere in Scandinavia. They feel like they can no longer stop pretending that this isn't about Russia. And because of Russia, that's why they're joining. Why aren't Sweden and Finland already a part of NATO? They wanted their neutrality. Finland saw the horrors of World War II. They fought a fight with the Soviets in 1939, I believe. They just thought Finlandization, as the term was, was the easiest way to protect their people. And they went for the neutrality route. Sweden has more of a complicated history on it. But they also didn't want to make themselves open up to a counterattack by Russia or a preemptive attack by Russia slash the Soviet Union. So they said the best way to sort of protect our people is to stay neutral. Hans, I'm not going to ask you to tell us what Vladimir Putin is thinking right now, but what does this mean for his plans as far as we can understand them? 
Well, it's a gray zone, right? And it's dangerous because the concern, and I don't mean to say that that for or against them joining, but concern was always that if you do announce an intent to join, you have to have security cooperation immediately after. Because the minute you say you're going to join, that puts you at risk of some sort of counter move by Russia, by Putin. And so the way that the U.S. and allies have sort of finessed this is is they have said, well, we already have partnerships with them. We already do some training. But to be fully integrated into NATO, you need to have compatibility of systems. You have to do a lot more joint exercises. So the danger is really sort of in this gray zone, in this window, when they've said they've wanted to join, but they're not in the club just yet. Hans Nichols is part of Axios' politics team covering the White House. Thanks, Hans. Thanks for having me. One moment of joy to end on today, courtesy of the wildly popular Eurovision Music Contest. The winning entry came from Ukraine and the folk rap group Kalush Orchestra with their song Stefania. Russia was banned from this year's competition that included 25 countries. And a fun fact. Last year, the song contest drew a global TV audience of more than 180 million people. We'll have a link in our show notes to the winner's video so you can check out the song. That's it for us today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one bestselling author of The Happiness Project. Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin wherever you get your podcasts. Each episode is crammed with practical ideas for making our lives happier and a weekly happiness hack. 